As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. episode of Android's Dungeon, JJB, J-A-R, M-C, uh, other stuff, games, Android's Dungeon, keep listening. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting at the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario, Canada. You can listen to us online at CFRU.ca or check us out, Android's Dungeon, on all your favorite podcasting websites. Um, I forget which one's the best. I go through this every bloody time, but I'll, only the good ones. Uh, Joel, how you doing? Pretty good, man. I was just thinking about that the, our intro song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of reminded me of Gorillaz just a little bit. Why do you say that? You remember Plastic Beach? No, you'd have to. Uh, is it from their first album? Because that's the only one I know. 2010. Is that a whole album so or a song? their third album. Okay. Uh, there was a, you know, there's some, I mean, they do a lot of collaborations, but it was a collaboration with a rapper where they, uh, talking about a cereal or something, a super fish, jellyfish. It's, hold on, a cereal? Like, as in, like, a, a many episodes of a TV series or like, a radio? Uh, like, or delicious, like, crunchy... <laughs> Breakfast cereal. Breakfast cereal. You've got time for, and just the you know the beginning was adjust your sound and radio. Uh, it sounded a lot like it, and it also just that kind of upbeat. Is it like kind of fast paced, happy? Yeah. Like, oh, it's morning time. Well, how do you feel about Gorillaz? I as someone who I bought their first album when it came out because I, I when I yeah. first heard Clint Eastwood in the air, I was like, oh wow, this is a good song. I really like this and. I've always had this like I've I've always enjoyed the sort of um, I don't know if you want to call it trip hop, but the yep. this the kind of style of that type of music and experimental uh, electronic. I guess because it was close, it was electronic akin. It was on the cutting edge at the time. Yeah. Now it kind of feels like mainstream, but it's almost like it popularized it. And that was before I think um, I'd even heard of Daft por- Punk. And- well, th- yeah, Daft Punk is its own beast, I think, because that's more of the Daft Punk. I have a very love-hate relationship with mostly hate <laughs> because it's one of these. It's like people's, and this sounds super elitist. I listen to a lot of electronic music. It's nerdy <laughs> as hell, and I have nothing against Daft Punk. I think they're extremely talented musicians, and I like their shtick. I like the whole robot thing they've got going it's on. Funny. But I, I hate most of their music because it's so happy, it's so poppy, yeah. and there's only so much French uh, electro house disco <laughs> I can take before it's just like, yeah. give me my... Yeah, it's just like, it's 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 catchy, it's happy, you can see kids dancing to it, but <laughs> give me angry Welsh or uh, Cornish uh, the gingers, Apex the Aphex Twins, <laughs> with his, his insane smiles where he's going out to deliberately disrupt people's dance routines, where it's like, you can't dance yeah. to this, I dare you, even though it's very danceable. So would you, so you say in comparison to games, you know... Uh, Daft, Daft Punk is a, is a is a gateway electronic music, <laughs> just like Gorillaz, maybe. I don't know. That's a it's good like question. oh, you like electronic music. Well, 
Well, no, it's a good question because it's like what. A, so let's go back to gorillas. What part about gorillas do you like? What what appeals to you about? Do you like the rapping? Do you like the the simple poppy hooks to it? Do you like the samples? Do you like the more hip hoppy? Do you like the poppy songs? I like think what? I kind of like how they bring up unknown talent. You know, all these lesser rappers or lesser artists <clears throat> end up on the tracks. And yeah. you, when you go to a Gorillaz concert, there's like 30 people well, there stop, performing. Stop, stop, stop. Have you been to a Gorillaz concert? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I don't have that kind of money, Jack. <laughs> Is, are they expensive? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like more than, are we talking $150? No, no. They're they're just a popular show, you oh, know. okay. But I wasn't sure if it was like $500 There's like 30 performers on the stage, right? Mm-hmm. Because they bring in everybody yeah. that collaborates. And it's really like, who are the members of Gorillaz? I, I can only think of the only name that comes to mind is Damon Albert. The guy from Blur. From Blur, right? Yeah. Who wasn't the the rumor that Banksy was him? Yeah, he's Blank, he's Banksy as yeah. if he has time to do that. Who knows? But he could but be. Hey, this, maybe. This prodigy is the perfect cover. It's like, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a perfect cover, but whatever. It's a good cover. Um, yeah, so Gorillas. By the way, Android's Dungeon show about uh, games, music, movies, whatever we saw coming in. Um, yeah. So Gorillas is. I had never heard of Portishead before I heard of Gorillaz. And as soon as I heard Portishead, it's like, ah, this is the this is what I wanted to really listen to. <laughs> and then for, it was no looking back. And it's funny. This is the real Gorillaz. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned Gorillaz because, um, and then I mentioned Portishead because I saw this thing on Twitter where somebody posted this question, like, post your weirdest encounter with a celebrity that uh, it, it goes beyond just like, I ran in this guy here and that was that, but more like strange interactions that nobody would ever believe you, but you swear is true. And somebody posted that they were in, um, maybe they're in a, a Pakistan or something like that. And it was a Friday night and they're blasting music and they get a knock on their door and it's their security guard in the compound or whatever saying that uh, a bunch of people from the compound over are complaining okay. and that and that you're playing Portishead too loudly. And it turns out it was Osama Bin Laden's compound and they were very polite <laughs> but they did not want to hear Portishead being played that loudly on a Friday. So it's, the guy says, I swear it's true Osama Bin Laden didn't like my music, it was too loud and told me to knock it off. I wonder what they could have played where you were like, this is cool. <laughs> this is fine. I wonder what he was into. What, what <laughs> LPs did the uh, the Marines come across or the SEALs, yeah. whatever. Uh, anyway, Joel. What, if, what have you been playing recently? <laughs> I was just going to say that the Gorillas have an album called B-Sides. Oh, do they? Uh, which is pretty good if you want to check out some uh, less poppy Gorillas. Do you enjoy it? Do you endorse it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, more, ex- more fun, more experimental. How old is it? It came out around the same time, same time as the album you bought. Oh, really? Self-titled. Really? I think it's uh, 2001. I guess when an album gets big enough, they release the uh, the B-sides to yeah. it eventually. Or if you bought the, the EPs throughout the years, Ooh, you yeah. have them. So. People are talking about streaming and how <clears throat> we've finally seen an uptick in profit for music industry because they've been suffering so much, you know? The, the guys from, quick aside, the guys from Mastodon, do you know that band? big metal group that at least as far as like anyone who knows anything about the genre you say Mastodon yeah Mastodon they I think they testified at the Senate uh, committee in the states about just how poorly musicians are paid for streaming services oh. compared to like even yeah. radio play and like something like you have it's to hear point oh 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 it's a crazy eight three cents per play yeah yeah and it's you so there's bring down there you have to have a song played a hundred thousand times where you'd make like a hundred bucks yeah. on a song which is crazy but anyway sorry what were you gonna say 
Yeah, but exposure, Jack. Yeah, exposure. I mean, yeah, I guess the streaming services have kind of written contracts that are unfair because what choice do you have? Yeah. It's me or nothing. Yeah. But yeah, there's uh, there's an uptick now, so they're starting to make money again. Hopefully, everybody's stop. Uh, all these uh, musicians are gonna stop living in the gutter and <laughs> get out there. And make... Well, it's like yeah. you have these the mix, and I, I don't know too much about this, so I'm gonna be talking out of a rear end here for a little bit. But it's just you obviously have people that doesn't make a difference, like the top forty people who are making tons of money. And they're streaming regardless, and the record yep. company has their back, and they're paying them. They, like the, they're getting all the airtime, which feeds this loop where they're. It's like, oh, why do you like Taylor, Taylor Swift? I heard her on the radio a lot. Well, how did she get on the radio? Because she's popular. No, because they put her on there. But maybe yep. Taylor Swift isn't the best example. But kind of going down the line. But some of the smaller guys, where it's like, oh, you, you have to tour. The, the, yep. That's the only way you're ever going to make any money is touring, because you're not making money on these albums. That's for bloody sure. But how do you sell tickets? Get plays. Yeah. So how do people hear about you? So then, thankfully, this community radio station that everyone yeah. tunes into. CFRU. CFRU, which is, uh, speaking of real estate coming up, um, Joel, do you know anyone who wants to buy a boat? I'd say this is uh, uh, 15, 1,600 square feet, 2,000 maybe. Um, it's on the market, and it's a steal. It's a, it's an absolute steal. I think <laughs> they'll pay you to take it. <laughs> the university is known for giving away... <laughs> properties so. <laughs> it's the largest land actually i think involved. the place where i work is owned by the university that yeah the street and well, that whole area the the mall the land of the mall is owned yeah. by the university so it's just they're you, just they're just making so much money but they can't afford a radio station <laughs> <laughs> yes they, they can't afford it <laughs> i mean how are these guys going to make their music videos they put up their uh, green felt and <laughs> Play yeah. their instruments in the. That's you know how expensive green felt is, Joel. Just imagine instead of the university providing the space for them, if they had to go out and you know, pay a studio for an hour of uh, of time. I don't even know where you would oh, do that in Guelph. So it, it is a here. It is atrociously expensive. Like if you were a musician, you're recording. Like paying an engineer, the studio time. It's something. It seemed really easy on uh, you know, oh brother, we're out there. <laughs> oh brother, where art thou? Cut an album in Nashville. What was it like or a dollar or something? They just well, that was a lot of money back then. Joel. We are the boys. Constant sorrow. I actually heard the uh, version of that the other day on. Uh, I think it was Glacio. <laughs> Glacio show on Tuesday mornings. It's the Soggy Bottom Boys. Soggy Bottom Boys. Well, or before they was them, but uh. who's the blind? The guy that's the blind guy in that he was in news radio. Oh no, not the new, blind guy. Yeah, news radio back when um, Phil Hartman was alive. Yeah, I don't know. I I would never really watch news radio. I just know Joe Rogan was on it. And yeah, I know Dave Foley was on it. Oh, it's great. Um. I forget the rest. <laughs> and Phil Hartman was great, obviously. Anyway, sure was. Those were the days. Joel. Well, that kind of brings us before we go to the main point of the show. That brings us round again because we started with the, talking about the song. Yeah. Which is by Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, Run Meredith, which is then most famous. The Shadowy Men are most famous for the Kids in the Hall theme song, <gasps> starring Dave Foley, Dave Foley, who was in news radio. So. We can end this thread just like that. <laughs> we folks. did it. Made it. <laughs> so, uh, 12 minutes in, we're starting our show. Yeah, you can just, if anyone's listening, you can skip it. But <laughs> Last weekend <laughs> Don't skip was it. a big event for Guelph. GriffCon, the annual convention, the only convention we've got in Guelph, as far as I know. Yeah, I'd say so. And it's a bit of a mix. It's gaming con. It's a RPG con. 
Yeah. Uh, there were some comics there. There was really strange uh, Harry Potter Let's fan. Get to, no, hold on, hold on. We'll get to that in a second because <laughs> that is special. We have to – let's do it. Like, I like this because let's do an overall breakdown of GriffCon okay. because GriffCon – like Joel was saying, it's an annual event that's it's held, I guess, technically twice a year because there's Griffcon Shadow, which we talked about. Yeah. Um, but this is the this is the big one, folks. The big event, and this is our fir- I don't know. Have you been there before? No. This is my, our first time attending. Didn't you go the other? Didn't you? Go oh, get I went to a boardroom event. Oh, okay. Which was like a tournament, just random game tournament. Yeah. At Griffcon. Yeah. Two years ago. Was that the Carcassonne one? Yeah, there was Carcassonne. It was like just any game. So it was Carcassonne. We played Catan. We played uh, Ticket to Ride. We played all the classics. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this one is this is the the the, the main event, and it took place in the basement of the UC. And we're talking about the basement in that there's no natural light, so <laughs> it's just like a casino. You can't tell what, how if time is progressing outside. So it's intended to keep you in there as long as possible. There were vendors setting up. There were people on the outside. There were people on the interior of this this kind of convention hall-sized yeah. uh, or almost like a church basement-esque feel <laughs> to it. Now, we came in early because we were setting up our game that we were we had arranged with the convention to run. Mm-hmm. But we I heard the lineup was insane. Like it was just, just to the elevator. To the elevator, all the way up the stairs. You had just had to... So could have used some extra booths getting in, but... Hey, once once everybody was in, I don't yeah. think there was any. Uh, I never saw a line. Did you? No, 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 yeah. no. And that was like like Joel was saying, very popular at least as far as I could tell. It's just the issue is that in some of these spaces, it's very difficult to gauge how much space you'll you'll actually need. Yeah. And to be honest, I think most tables were in use in some sense of uh, mm-hmm. the word. Like it's not like there were you were looking at empty tables, empty tables, but it just felt like it felt so big that it felt empty by. Um, comparison, even True, if like yeah. how many people were actually there, there were tons, but it just didn't feel like there were ever that many people. Maybe they needed one more barrier, block off the Catan tournament. We don't want to <laughs> see those guys. <laughs> keep them tucked away. Just turn <laughs> on a fan to keep the smell off. So us. that's the other thing. There was a massive Catan tournament. They had I think thirty three people sign up. That's incredible. And then eight wow. people didn't show up. What? So a oh. lot of people just got in by default. A lot oh. of people had to sit there and wait for a buy. Hold on, hey, Joel. We have to have a quick chat about etiquette. Yeah. Uh, if you are signing Chopter up for something, it, it's one thing to flake and be known for that and always have the Scarlet F branded on you. <laughs> it's it's something else to me. If you're an or, can you imagine organizing something like that? Because it's a tournament. It's it's a big deal. It's a lot of and work. And you and and close to what's how many people did you? Twenty one people total and eight flake. Thirty three. Thirty three and eight flake. Yeah. So close to a third of your crowd bailing is insane and it, it's an unfair to your fellow competitors it, it it kills the organizers sort of buzz and tolerance like yeah. if you that's why i'm a huge fan of making like here's down payment like you have to pay oh that's something. a good idea and unfortunately i'll scare a bunch you're of people you're gonna get away. less signed up yeah but at least the people that come are, have paid i'd be furious if that happened well you can imagine because then you get to the round of 16 or whatever but yeah. just about everybody's through already yeah it's so annoying but anyway so we saw that going on that was pretty cool yeah. And uh, th- so throughout the, by the way, we were running a game of the best event, Mega Civ. Mega Civ, which everyone there <laughs> was mm, uh, someone we've played with before, except for one. Yeah, we had two, two sort of not the usuals. Yeah, 
<laughs> and uh, I felt and a quick shout out to a confirmed friend of the show. Well, he's just friend of the show right now, uh, David. Yep. Thank you for playing, David. Uh, I am. I really hope you didn't ha- weren't miserable. I <laughs> was, was trying sport. my best to help you. It's just it's too much. Yeah. And then we had Rule. Thanks to everybody. Yeah, Rule coming out. Who won the previous game of Mega Sid. Won an 18 player game. Won the 18 like the, currently the the champion of the universe as far as like the Mega Mega Civ games go. But I think he had a much rougher go of it in this game through. Yeah. And, and maybe we'll get to that in a second. I think with but. So anyway, we were doing Megasiv while the con- conference or convention was going on. And in the other room, similar to Grifcon Shadow, was tons and tons of tables of people playing their tabletop games, their Pathfinder. Pathfinder, games. a whole room of Pathfinder. And, I don't and th- on the other side, I think there was a, a, a magic tournament. Really? A little small one. Oh, yeah. I didn't even see that one going on. That was on the... Uh, so crazy. There was so much going on, man. Yeah. We couldn't keep up. And uh, But I think Joel and I both want to talk about the, the highlight of the evening. Which was, we're playing, uh, and we had heard something over, because believe it or not, I have really good hearing. It's just putting it into something is a better selective. question. Yeah, very selective. And I was hearing something like, ah, dancers, ah, later. And I'm like, oh, this is odd, but I'll just ignore this. And then we're sitting there, we're playing Megasiv, and all of a sudden the lights dim. And I've noticed. Like, oh, is there a problem? <laughs> is there a problem? Like, did the power go out? Are they? Is it the ugly lights? No, they make them brighter. But it's too late. Everyone's seen everyone, so there's no one leaving. <laughs> and we'd been, not- or I'd been noticing that there was some uh, young women dressed up in schoolgirl outfits, and they were kind of uh, congregating around certain areas. And two of them were dressed up in really gothy sort of like robes and things. I'm thinking this is very peculiar. I don't, yeah. I don't remember. Anything. I didn't know people were cosplaying. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Is like, oh. And I was, and I got really worried because I was thinking, is this some sort of weird thing where it's like, get your picture taken with Harry Potter. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is weird. Uh, no, don't worry, Jack. <laughs> it turned out to be much, much different. Much weird. worse. <laughs> Joel, do you want to? Uh... It was worse than we could ever imagine. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I, I hope none of these kids are listening, but. Uh... It's, no, no, hold on. I'm caveat. It was not, nothing personal. Absolutely nothing personal. And I think it was fine. It was just not for us. It was not for us. And I was thinking, and so we've already jumped ahead of ourselves. So these, these, the young women come in and, uh, and they're introduced as, I forget the name of it. Maybe Joel can uh, look it up or find out or something. But the, the gist of it is it was a Harry Potter themed, um, uh, I want to say belly dance. It was definitely a belly dance. Um, and, and it was telling the story of the Harry Potter series via dance. And the best part was the music was a, the fir- there were two tracks. The first track was a remix of the famous John Williams uh, Harry Potter score. Like I can't even think of how it actually goes now in my head. But uh, imagine that if you like Harry Potter, the theme song to the movies, and except like cut with electronic. <laughs> electronic. electronic. I think it was beat. Daft Punk actually. It was Daft Punk. <laughs> <laughs> it cost them tens of millions to remix this. And um, they were doing their best. It, they're doing their dance, and it's like I'm, I'm not going to be mean. It, I was underwhelmed by the dance, but it's like it's tough to get excited. And the way that it was laid out is that, and this is the part that I was telling my colleague about was that. So there's this. We're all we're at these tables, and uh, there's almost a stage area. So they're doing their thing in front of this stage, but there's this other smaller table that's also in front of the ta- the stage area, and there are like, <laughs> these high school kids playing betrayal. And they wanted nothing to do with these girls whatsoever. <laughs> and the one guy was openly, like, basically doing his moves and chatting with his buds to, like, it's your turn to go. Do your turn. It's like, oh, man. You know what's funny is, that, like, it, you can imagine, like, you're in a, like, a, 
you go to an IT department and you turn the lights way up or something. It was like that. <laughs> Except I know we had turned the lights down. Yeah, but it yeah, was yeah. almost like, here, hey, hey, you bunch of nerds that are really focused. Yeah, yeah. Stop focusing and look at this thing. <laughs> yeah, look at look at this thing that it's it, uh, anyone can figure out instantly that there's something off about this. Everyone is just desperate for it not to happen. I'm, I'm so embarrassed, oh, and, yeah. and, and I'm and I'm, I'm I'm saying it's me. I'm I'm blaming yeah. myself. Don't do not misconstrue anything. But it was just awkward, and the, and everyone's and I'll be fair. Like everyone was giving them. They're, they're, everyone's paying attention for the most part and the, the, there was applause and you're, there was, I was even laughing at some of the goofy stuff but it just felt like the longest 10 minutes of my life and I, <laughs> I couldn't wait for it to be over well, and that's the other thing is that like the song finished and we're like Oh, okay. No, I knew it wasn't done <laughs> and then somebody says there's the second one <laughs> <laughs> ah! and it was just like the, it was just it comes this strange Harry Potter themed song. It's so strange. Like change the lyrics of another song. Oh Woo. man, it it was weird, and I think it was just totally. It was just. I think we played through the second one. I, I I think at that point, and like, and and we played with Patrick, and Patrick the whole time. I think I don't know whether he was embarrassed or he was just like, we gotta get what. Still, I want to keep Whose playing. Whose turn is it? Whose turn is it? it? It's like, come on, man, just like, <laughs> just be cool, man. Just be cool. <laughs> just be We're cool. all trying to keep it together here, and you're just making <laughs> rough. Anyway, so I that, found this group. It's called the Guelph Griffin Dance Pack. But I think if it was them, we probably wouldn't have minded. I. I don't know. It's possible. I'm not. I'd, ha- I'd have to do some Blade Runner style analysis. <laughs> do some research. Of the, <laughs> Kowalski. Kowalski. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, aside from that, the, um, the the conference was. I, I enjoyed it, um, and I think it's. I, I want it to get bigger. I yeah. felt a little sorry for some of the vendors because I think I don't know if they've done this before. Hopefully, they didn't pay to come here because mm, I, I don't know if they yeah, sold. Yeah, pay a for thing. a booth. Because it, it just seemed like the sales were not there. I mean, there were there was a booth of games that was forty percent off that we right. definitely looked at. We were considering a couple things on it. Oh yeah, which ones? I think um, there was. I know they had Pandemic Season Two there. That was yeah. That was cheap. one of them, and then something that we'd wanted for a while was there. You didn't bite. Uh, it's it's escaping me. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's so, fine. but that's sort of stuff that, like, I think bigger conferences, it's su- the the buy and sell, like the trades are huge at some of these other ones. Like, let's say, um, the one in Toronto, I, I want to say Breakout Con or Break Con or something yeah. like that. I think that I've seen pictures where it's like tables and tables and tables of people, like, because maybe this is where they really do they offload the a lot of stuff. And selling and everything. Or, and who knows whether these guys are like employees of companies and they're just like this is just profit. Like they yeah. got these games at cost. I'm sure so. Gen Con's gonna have a ton of that too. Gen Con will have a bunch. So as if you needed more issues about things to bring back, it's finally like, getting wingspan. Oh god. <laughs> and we'll check out Western Empire as well. We're there too. Man. We'll have to definitely do it. It was a Game of Thrones. It's the Western Empire. Yeah, Westeros. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Western Empires, which will be the sequel to Megasiv, what did you think of Megasiv, Joel? <clears throat> it was a blast, yeah. It was the first time I went into it and managed to maintain an attitude of, oh, I'm just going to have fun this time instead uh-huh. of like turning around and being like, oh, i got to win now. And so, uh, you know, I was mean to my neighbors. I was swinging my fists everywhere I could go as far as moving my units into other people's territories. If somebody took one tiny spot from me, I would send in five. <laughs> it was just... By the, you were Manoa, right? Yeah. So yeah. I was Manoa, so I was having a tough time 
first of all, but I was also just wasting a lot of my potential to build cities in just <laughs> crushing my enemies. Yeah. But I had a lot of fun with it. And then I also took the really terrible strategy of um, buying all the cheapest techs from 50 to 60 to 70. So that's what I wanted to have the breakdown of. What were your thoughts? Because for a quick rundown, one of the things you can do in Megasiv, if you don't know what Megas is, I'm not going to go into it again. you, you got to <laughs> listen to the show more often. But one of the things you can do is different techs have different costs to them, and some of them are very inexpensive. And one of the kind of the things people usually do is they'll buy something when they have enough points. They'll buy a really good thing. And then if they have leftover cash, usually with discounts and stuff, they pick up the smaller ones along the way, which is, in my opinion, degenerate behavior because it should be the other way around that you start off with the small stuff and it makes the big things actually affordable as you yep. go down as opposed to just like, you know, I guess I'll buy drama and poetry. Why not? It's free, basically. It's so <laughs> Yeah, all the things that you never really are interested in because they don't do much. Yeah. So and that was the other thing. Yeah. So to answer your question, which is how did it go? Badly, yeah. I mean, I got one time I managed to build up a set and had that set be worth 270. <laughs> Which is and enough to buy like, anything in the game. Beautiful, right? Is it? 280 is mega, I mean, Wonderworld? Yeah, I but like with the cash I had on hand, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Really, so that's I any, was fine. The board is yours. And I bought four things, four cheap things, and it was just so boring. You know, it was like, well, it's I get no fun. discount on this, 20 <clears> off <throat> this, 10 off this, four off, five off this. This was before, this was after you bought agriculture, though, correct? Yeah. Well, okay. So I didn't quite <laughs> fall. You have to get yeah. pottery in agriculture. It's yeah. just it's just a law. Yeah. And uh, we we talked about that. There were a couple of people in the game that didn't go agriculture and, and how did well, did and then just got absolutely massacred yeah. because they didn't have it. Yeah. That's the issue. So I think you can get away with it for a while. And like, and going back to Rule, who won the 18-player game, he said he didn't get agriculture in that game. But he had so much of other people's but territory. He, that's it. So he had absorbed so much territory that didn't make a difference. And that's the thing. If you're playing with people who sort of know what they're doing at least and don't respond well to you just eating space from them, you can't. It's going to be very difficult. Whereas with agriculture, which bumps up the quantity, <clears throat> excuse me, of your uh, so whatever your pop cap is on your spaces. Zero becomes one, one becomes two, and two becomes three. Four is already great. You're being greedy. You don't get anything yeah. more on fours. But it just gives you, allows you to breathe because you have to, su supporting cities becomes the most difficult thing by the end of the game, as far as I'm concerned, aside yeah. from rebuilding. But that stuff's just the, the way it goes. Now, you did a taxing strategy, which seemed to be working really well, but d tell me about democracy. That didn't really do much for you, did it? So democracy, I went in this game doing something I wanted to do for a long time, which is do the, the tax and spend strategy of just you, you get your tax or you get your cards. That's great. But you also have this crazy treasury where you're buying eights, you're buying sixes. I never bought, got the tech to let you buy threes and um, what is it? Is it only threes? Threes and sevens, I think. Threes and sevens? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, maybe I would have done it if it was sevens too. <laughs> Um, but anyway, the, the democracy is this tech that allows it mitigates tons of stuff. So it's great dis defensively. It's very expensive, though. But it also prevents tax revolts. So that's one of the things that you never want to have happen in your game is get a tax roll because it's a civil war and somebody will take half your stuff. And it's yeah. that's a disaster. So but when you combine coinage with monarchy, you are just taking four from every city on the board yeah. and you're maxing out your treasury. But I never had the point where, A, I was in tax revolt territory. 
and be where I want to do that. Because if I was low enough to actually make it worthwhile, I needed to put those guys on the board to support my cities and actually rebuild yeah, cities yeah. and things. So it was nice and preventative, but it was so to it was be honest, almost like you wanted just less cities. I don't know, but I think eight because I was doing the math and eight's the best you can do. I think uh, you can get away with nine, but nine is perfect. You have to everything has to be perfect <laughs> for you. And I don't think that would ever happen to me. But yeah. eight is... You know what would have been really good in your strategy is that one card which lets you discard trade goods for double cash value. I was trying to think, of, which one is that? And then you discard all your low stuff, and it goes into your treasury, and then... I guess so, but the issue is I already had treasury that was really full all the True, time. True, you didn't need so more. It, would be, it, was, that was the, it sounds like one of these first world civ problems. You know what you could like, do is you could start wars... Fight people, <laughs> lose your guys, or even invade cities. Just throw your guys away. Just to <laughs> just, oh, turn it into money. Yeah, it's it's a strategy that only works if you're you have peaceful neighbors and you're not worried about people screwing yeah. with you. And that was something that I wanted to bring up was that um, nice guy Seth, <laughs> trying his darndest, but made a couple of errors in the beginning of the game and also ended up being like attacked by his neighbors because like he was just sort of picking fights and but he avoided for some reason. He was doing, I think, an all-blue strategy or, or something mm. down those lines. And blue is maybe one of the worst. Not a military it's, strategy. And you think it's like, an anti-calamity strategy. Anti-calamity. And you usually subsidize your whatever you're doing with blues, typically yep. orange. And in this case, he, he was in so many fights so constantly, you think, okay, he'd just say, screw it. I'm going red. I'll At least pick up metalworking. Metalworking, something, or, or engineering, or something along those lines. Yeah. Just make it easier. But... It didn't work out. And we we got to talk about the value of agriculture, too, militarily. We've never seen that before. Where you have agriculture, someone else doesn't. <clears throat> all of a sudden, your territories, all the one spots can only go up to two, and all of their one spots can go up to four. So all of a sudden, they have double the forces coming at you than you have coming at them. You know what I mean? No, like I'm, in an I'm area listening. where population limit is one, mm -hmm. a person without agriculture has no chance Oh, of I understand. Beating somebody with it. Yeah, yeah, I get what because you're somebody saying. Somebody with agriculture can keep two on each spot. Yeah. And jump up to four, and then pff, those four drop over onto the neighboring areas. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. It's the end of the day. Agriculture is basically, unfortunately, essential. Essential, and I, I'd be really hard pressed unless you're playing against somebody who, I don't know, if you're near a big expanse of space, like because Patrick was Hattie. And Hattie has tons of space up near the top of the map. That yep. is, you're not going to do much there, but there's a lot to expand. Um, Kelt has tons of space. They're like a third of the map. It's a third of the map, but a lot of it's useless. Yeah. Um, but it's so at least you have room to spread your guys out. But at the same time, as soon as you get agriculture, you, your you, your space issues are gone. You're yep. never thinking about it again. But everyone else, it's like you got to get it. Manoa, it's required. Uh, Egypt, I almost think you get away without it in Egypt for a lot of the game because... Because of those four pop limit? The four pops on some Depends of Depends on uh, if you're using them well or not, I guess. Egypt, Africa? I can't remember. What, is it Egypt? Carthage? Carthage? Over here, you were Egypt. Was Is it Egypt or Africa, though? Egypt. Egypt, okay. Anyway. It's, uh, I like Egypt. It's, <laughs> it's in the corner. It's almost an easy mode in a sense because it's like, this is... It feels good. Yeah, it's, it's As long as you've got peace with Just Carthage don't get flood and again. get flood... I, I only got flood once, and it was, I just I, my eyes nearly exploded in my head because, like, what are the odds that I would get flood out of everyone there? Just for those who haven't played flood, I mean, Egypt's on a flood plain. There's, the Nile is right there, and yeah. it's, like, you but just it's lose still, everything. you know, it's but it's like, oh, oh no, just rebuild. It's Egypt's t almost too good as far as like space goes, in my mm. opinion. 
and because you don't really have to play around with boats either. And, You're very safe until people get the seafaring. Yeah, and type. then be worried about stuff. But the only thing I'm gonna say is that um, the, my the one move I was very happy with in this game was at one point I, I drew all my techs and I had uh, civil disorder and piracy. I bought the piracy and um, I'm looking at my hand and I immediately go, oh man, what have I done? And I'm thinking, hold on a sec. I can do this. So I deliberately hold on to uh, Civil Disorder and Piracy. And when it comes to trigger it, Civil Disorder is reduce um, all but three of your cities. I had attacked them mitigated by one, so I lose four. Luckily, um, I reduce my four coastal cities. Then Piracy comes up. And in Mega Civ, something we've all complained about is that if you have no coastal cities, you're immune to Piracy. So when it comes my turn to get hit with Pirates, nope. Nothing. They can't take anything. Yeah. But I'm assigning two pirates to other people because screw you. That's the way it works. Yeah. So you think like either it's canceled completely. Like if you are the victim, like if you lose something, okay, you ha you can assign them. If you're immune to it, it's almost like the pirates should have just left and they didn't do anything Isn't else. Isn't there an errata about that? Something about saying like if if it doesn't apply, it's canceled? I, I'd have to look it up. Maybe we should do that next Definitely time. should look it up. But anyway, the bottom line anyway, is it was fun. I got it, and I just threw pirates at Chris and Harry, and the pirates for Chris stayed there till the end of the game because it's such a pain to go after them yeah. in, that, in England, basically. And but it, it hurts me to hear, you know, like you got, you mitigated your problems really yeah. well, and the probabilities are that you'll get at least a couple of these yeah. uh, around or at least in a game. But at the same time, and this is what happened to me, when you're when you're six, seven, and eight, or in your case, you're seven and nine. Yeah. I mean, you paid fifteen treasury for Cost that. Cost me fifteen bucks for that. So you're calamity. losing out on all those goods. Yep. It's it's a disaster, and the nines. I I don't know if anyone is because everyone's saying no. We're staying away from nines. Stay away from nines. And then I saw nines <laughs> bought like nobody's <laughs> business. As soon as the seal was broken. As soon as nobody. Yeah. I knew. fell on the sword. Yeah. I took all the nines and I was like, okay, guys, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was just like free for, all. free for all, which was fine. That's the way it should be. But I don't think the nines are worth it. I really, you got four, you did all gold once, right? Or twice. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I think four gold, four or yeah. five, which is which crazy. I was really happy with the way my map state ended up. Yep. Like if, if it was a longer game, maybe I could have made something happen, but yeah. Uh, my fourth to last, third to last, and last round, I ended with nine cities, hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. I, I think I did. I don't think I had nine cities once. Maybe Nobody had one nine. round. Yeah, Patrick had nine. Oh yeah, yeah, the one time. I think Harry did too. So there were, but it was very fleeting. Like nine it's like was like a moment in the sun. Yeah, it's like the the, the the high point where the waves are and then <laughs> comes down. So, spoiler alert: the way it ended up was. Harry ended up winning the game, and there's even he got a reward, which I was not expecting. Yeah, but he, uh, thanks to Grifcon. Thanks to Grifcon, there was a copy of a game. I forget what it was called, something about space pirates, or space metal, something. Space metal, and you know, better than a kick in the pants, that's yeah. for sure. So that was pretty cool, and uh, I think everyone generally had a pretty good time. I don't know about David. <laughs> I hope he didn't hate himself. He's I just, a man of mystery. Man of mystery. I know he's a little taciturn at the best of times. So, he, but. Uh, <laughs> It was it was an interesting experience that I think it was it, it it's always a good time. Yeah. Oh, it was an, another great uh, event, and I can't wait till the next time. Although next time I think we're gonna be trying out Here I Stand, which yeah. I'm really excited about. I'm really excited too, and I'm glad to hear that Curtis is reading the uh, rule book, or at least looking <laughs> at the size of the rule book. And Somebody's doing it. Yeah. But uh, I got to run. Jack's going to finish off this show with some quality entertainment on his own. 
and I'm going to go kick a ball around and get some exercise. That's slang, folks. <laughs> Don't know what it is slang for, but it's slang. Anyway, musical break, and I'll be back. Just like <laughs> Schwarzenegger. Bye-bye.
Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was three tracks from the excellent, the outstanding, the Stop What You're Doing and Pick Up this album, Black Lake, <clears throat> by from Burning Witch Records. And the artist, I believe, is... It just says Burning Tapes, which I think is the actual artist's name, but I'm not totally clear right now. Uh, the tracks were Earth, Air, Fire, Water, In the Wilderness, and Landscape Near Figures. And the uh, premise of the album, it's a soundtrack for a film, I don't know if it's real or not, to be honest, called uh, Black Lake. Looking for inspiration and to pursue her passion for expressionist painting, Arya Stark, not Stark, a young woman leaves her family in the city to house-sit in a large secluded property surrounded by beautiful Scottish landscapes. After being gifted a mysterious red scarf, she is haunted by a Chiral, a demonic and malevolent South Asian witch, and is forced to face the devastating cycles of violence the trail brings with her. Black Lake will be entering the film festival circuit from spring 2019. Oh, so it's not even out yet. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyway, fantastic stuff. Tags, electronic, dark synth, horror, soundscape, soundtrack, synth, synthwave, United Kingdom. All that stuff appeals to me. Uh, maybe not the United Kingdom. <laughs> I don't care about that. Not a, not a damn bit. But it's interesting to know where it comes from. Speaking of horror and soundtracks, not really soundtracks, but Joel's gone. He is playing soccer. If that's, or at least that's what he says he's doing. You're stuck with me for a minute here. And in that amount of time, while we're waiting and burning out the light on this show, I'm just going to talk a little bit about a game I've mentioned a little bit on the show so far, which is Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. And it's the latest game from From Software. And it, uh, in case you haven't been paying attention, it kind of tore up a bit of the social media scene and the world as far as uh, waves of people chiming in to talk about it. And... The main reason it was brought up is because the game is difficult. And I've mentioned before, it is a very difficult game. Even for someone like myself, who I'm not going to say I'm a pro at these games, but I really enjoy them. So I already know sort of what to expect and how they handle. Um, mostly because of the Souls series, like Demon Souls, Dark Souls, um, Bloodborne. And for a veteran of those games, somebody coming into a game like Sekiro, that uh, on the surface it looks very similar, controls almost identically, the game looks like, okay, I've been here before. Now it's Japanese-themed, uh, as opposed to Western medieval stuff. The game almost seems designed to punish people who have come in from those games and are expecting it to play like that. And as a result, it can be very frustrating and very tricky because it doesn't teach you how to play it very easily or quickly. And I'd say it was about halfway through the game before I really figured out what I was doing. And for anyone out there who is struggling with it or thinking about picking it up, uh, if you're struggling with it, listen to me. If you're thinking about picking it up, my main advice is to wait for a sale or borrow it from a friend or, I don't know, go over to your friend's house, beat him up, and then tie him to a chair. And while he's tied there, play the game yourself and figure out what you think about it because it is a difficult game that may not initially appeal to you. And the last thing I want to see somebody do is drop $60 redos on a game that they're furious with because God knows I've done it before. Anyway. Sekiro's main thing is that it's, like I mentioned before, it's half a rhythm game and half a samurai simulator. And I say that because there is a natural ebb and flow to the game that's not obvious. And that natural ebb and flow is that the game has a system where uh, you still have health, 
just like in any other game. And when you get smacked, you lose some. And when you smack the enemy, they lose some. And when yours is down, you're dead. And when theirs is down, they're dead. But the main thing you have to keep in mind with enemies is this thing called the posture bar. And as you attack enemies and they block you, their posture bar basically increases for all intents and purposes. And conversely, when you are attacked and you block enemies, your posture bar increases as well. And as soon as someone's posture bar hits a certain point, that person is stunned. And if it's you, you're just knocked down, you're vulnerable for a second. If it's the enemy, they get this lovely red splotch that appears over them, and that allows you to do what's called a death blow. And that's a, you push uh, your uh, right trigger or uh, right bumper, and uh, Sekiro, the, the one-armed wolf, will do a wicked little finishing move that some people hate. I never got old or tired of it because it felt fairly... Um, fun. It felt really rewarding doing what you're doing with, when you got that those death blows in. So the game works in that you're attacking enemies and you're blocking and you're attacking. But the thing is you can't just mash the button and attack, 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 otherwise known as R1 spam in the Dark Souls world. Because in the game it rewards you for paying attention to how enemies are responding and there's actual audio cues. So you're smacking an enemy and you hear a cling, 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 cling! And on the latter one, it means the enemy has gotten sick of your spamming and is getting ready to just basically invincibility frame through your attacks. And that's when you have to learn to start to dodge or specifically block. And that's the second thing, is that if you're into dodging, you're going to find this game is extremely difficult because the Souls games reward players for iframes, which are invincibility frames, which is when you roll or you dodge through something, you have a split second where nothing that touches you can hurt you for the most part. So a lot of players abuse these by timing their dodges perfectly and the games are designed around this where you roll through damage. So in the Souls games, for example, somebody can be smashing a giant hammer on top of your character, but if you hit the dodge button at just the right time, the hammer will be hitting your character as far as the graphics go, but technically you're invincible and you're rolling through it. So it's like you've dodged through the attack. In Sekiro, the dodge windows are extremely tiny and the game actively discourages you from doing stuff like that, it's more of just a quick step. And it gets into the whole samurai simulator that I was referring to because combining this quick stepping that doesn't reward you for dodging or rolling around on the floor like a maniac and actively uh, smacking an enemy and blocking an enemy and trying to get that posture bar up, it turns the combat in the game into this very elegant ballet of death. And when you're watching, when you when you figure it out, and when you're watching somebody who's played and knows what they're doing too, it's actually quite nice to look at. Because just like watching somebody who knows what they're doing with, let's say, I don't know, something like Guitar Hero, where they're like, no errors, they're just hitting every note, they've got this rhythm down. In Sekiro, when you figured out how to get the rhythm down on these enemies, the game almost enters this next level, and it's... It's something really interesting to experience because I think a lot of people banging their head against the wall in this game are trying to brute force it, and the game doesn't reward you doing that. In fact, it actively punishes you. So you're going to have a very terrible time with this ex with this experience. And it's kind of created this meme where everyone from soft games are known for being difficult. There's no question about it. And I think they, in an interview, I think... Um, uh, Miyazaki has said that they don't set out to make their games difficult, or at least not the ones he's directing. They just happen to be difficult and challenging because he finds that when the game is challenging, when you persevere and get through it, it's a rewarding experience as opposed to the game being too easy. There's not You don't walk away from it thinking about anything. It was just too simple. Who cares? Um, that's when you get to a game like Sekiro, which is 
as far like I was describing, the mechanics are alien. So somebody who thinks they know what they're doing or maybe cheese their way through some of the Souls games, because you can be very cheesy in those games because of the build variety, they get to Sekiro where the game is more strict in what works and what doesn't. And there's definitely still cheese. Like there are what's cool is that your samurai has lost his arm and you get this prosthetic and you get upgrades throughout the game that allow you to do different things with this prosthetic. Like um, you can shoot fire out of it, you can shoot shurikens, you can shoot uh, have this giant umbrella that pops up a parasol that blocks any attack in the game except for grabs and so on so there's all these things that do that sort of stuff and it's really cool and allows you to kind of evolve your gameplay around that um but when people go into this game expecting dark souls level difficulty and they get a game that is dark souls difficult but in a different way it can be extremely frustrating and that's where you're getting this sort of thing where people were complaining about an easy mode in games and it's kind of contentious, but my thoughts on this are very clear in that games like Dark Souls and Sekiro do not need an easy no mode. It, it's antithetical to the design. And if you want your narrative-based game, I'm sorry, go somewhere else. It's not for you. Which is something I think is you should be more than happy to say, that it's too difficult, I don't enjoy it, or I need to get good, which is the common refrain of somebody who is struggling with one of these games. So in the case of the Souls games, I think with the difficulty that is baked into the game that creates the... That's why people talk about them, because they are difficult games and they are rewarding. So everyone remembers their first struggles with certain games. Everyone remembers in Dark Souls, New Londo, or not New Londo, um, Anor Londo, and fighting Tweedledee and Tweedledum and how difficult that was. And when you persevered, how rewarding it is and how bad the rest of the game is because it's imbalanced. But when, when the formula is just right, it feels incredible. Taking that away by adding an easy mode may make someone feel good initially, but much like that meme that's floating around is it's hollow, and you're, there's really no point to it. And just like seeing how these actual journalists or some guy who writes for PC Gamer or claims to be a journalist admitting to throwing on cheats at the end of the game to slow down the enemies, and I don't know if he's making himself invincible or whatnot, to me it's like, what's the point? Because I grew up playing all these games, not these games specifically, but I grew up playing games like Doom and Resident Evil 2, and for the longest time, I was afraid to play them without cheats on, because, to be honest, I was scared of these games, so instantly it was just cheats, cheats, put on the cheats. I still love Resident Evil 2, I still love Doom, but I understand how it definitely took away from the experience, because there was no challenge, it was more just exploring this world, and I wasn't playing the game the way that it was really designed to be played. It was basically turning on walking simulator in which I was murdering people on the way without any consequence. So it was for enjoying the story. Except in Doom. There's very little story in Doom. There's more just appreciating the aesthetics, I guess. Resident Evil 2, you could argue there's a story and you're just enjoying the easy mode of that. But even putting cheats on Resident Evil 2 seems like, oh, what's the point? What is the purpose of doing this? Because it, it ultimately, it just turns it into a like I was saying, a walking simulator, a story mode in which you have to be murdering a couple of people. That's not to say that, which is interesting because Doom does have its difficulty modes. There is very easy, which is a joke. And then it goes all the way up to Nightmare, which is legendarily difficult and that nobody even respects, I think, at this level. So ultraviolence is basically the, the default state. So then you go to something like Resident Evil 2, which has difficulty levels. And even the new one, what it did was that it starts off, you have a choice of normal and hardcore. And I think hardcore is the only modes most people should be playing after a certain point, even though it can be kind of punishing. Um, but if you die too many times, it gives you the option to drop down to easy mode. And easy mode is a joke. It's, it's for someone who maybe is not good at games or just really wants to experience a story or the aesthetics. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because Resident Evil 2 is not designed from top to bottom with difficulty in mind. It's telling a story 
there happens to be action elements in it and i think you are you are depriving yourself of the actual game elements by putting on easy mode and cheats and doing stuff like that you're still getting to experience the game as the creator is more or less intended um which is the big point i'm trying to make regarding sekiro and dark souls and that putting on easy mode into those games defeats the entire purpose which is that the difficulty is baked in and designed to challenge the player and reward them for persevering through there. Easy mode would remove all that and it turn it into this just uh, undercooked experience of an action RPG, which is, seems fairly pointless to me. And I, honestly, if it had existed, I think most people would not be giving. Uh, it, or mo most of the memes involving Dark Souls and Demon Souls wouldn't exist. And it also, if you want to get into this real sort of made even works in the theme of the games too. The idea of this, these worlds where people are constantly dying and coming back and repeating their actions and cycles and all that stuff. So thematically, it even sort of works too, if you don't look too hard at it. So anyway... I'm almost done Sekiro, and I've gone from I, I I thought it was a I was a little worried at the beginning, and by the middle of the game I was enjoying it, and by the end of the game I think it's fantastic. It's a very good game. There are some flaws with it, of course, just like most of these games. They're not perfect. It runs quite nicely on the PC. Uh, the load times are great. The game itself feels pretty long, and even though there aren't tons of proper bosses there are the bosses that you do fight are notable and memorable and you also come across a bunch of mini bosses throughout the game which are probably scarier than the, the actual bosses because you'll just be doing something when you see someone standing there that looks slightly out of place and as you approach all of a sudden they get their own name at the top and a little health bar and their two symbols indicating you have to death blow them twice. And these fights are often, I wouldn't say as memorable, but they're probably sometimes as difficult as the boss fights. And there really is an opportunity for you to get good. And the game's environments are quite nice. And I was joking with a friend, a friend of the show, Mark Hines, about how From Software loves poison swamps. If you've ever played a From Software game, odds are there's some poison in it, especially Demon Souls. The entire world is based around this. Uh, Dark Souls 1 had Blight Town, which is infamous for its low frame rate and poison. Dark Souls 2 had, uh, what is it, Hidden Valley or something? Uh, or uh, I'm forgetting the name. Fooled with poison, stunk. Dark Souls 2 stinks. Dark Souls 3 had one of the worst area in the game was Farron Swamp, where, oh boy, it's a poison swamp, and you move slowly through it, and we put some of the worst enemies in the game lurking around uh, obnoxiously. Uh, Bloodborne, I'm trying to think if they had a poison swamp area. They had other stuff, but maybe there wasn't any poison swamps in Bloodborne, but I might be forgetting. Um, Sekiro has a poison swamp area, but it is so... They actually did it right, <laughs> and if you get poisoned for staying in the swamp too long, it's your fault because it's it goes up so slowly, and there's so many spots for you to hop around, and it just feels good. And there are very few parts of the game, I think with the exception of maybe one or two areas where I thought, that's cheap, that's dumb, I'm not happy with this. There are a couple of problems with Sekiro 2 involving the stealth aspects. And the game highly rewards you for getting kind of stealthing around the areas because if you sneak up on an enemy, it's an instant kill. And a lot of the mini-bosses are so annoying and so designed around uh, being kind of grueling fights that it is recommended that you try to get a sneak kill on them as soon as you can because it basically halves the fight. So you end up in these positions where sometimes you're cheesing some of these mini-bosses a little bit and and you're going around the area and it feels like you're playing as a ninja or shinobi running around stabbing people and cleaning, picking guys off. But the way it's handled feels sort of half-baked. 
and is almost more of a fast forward button. But once again, when you get the system down and you start playing the game properly, it feels so good. And there's this flow and speed to the game that is remarkable because your character moves so quickly and fluidly um, around the map that it ties into the whole Samurai Simulator and it really does a great job of recreating this, this power fantasy of this uh, basically bionic <laughs> bionic samurai <laughs> in, uh, I'm not sure what era, it's supposed to be Sengoku era in Japan, running around murdering stuff. And you fight monsters that are cool. You fight pro. You fight other samurai that are great. And there's when you get the things down, and the timing with the blocks, and the timing with your attacks, and you start building your character up, and it's with these crypto RPG elements, the game just clicks. And if you haven't got it at that point, you're never going to get it. But I really, really endorse this game. I think it's great if you are fans of difficult games. Um, that reward you for it and reward you for getting good at them. And just in a world where the average game just holds your hand completely, uh, Sekiro, it, it, it's not slapping your hand away, it's not cutting your hand off, but it's, it's staring at your hand with a grimace and it's glaring at you for putting your hand out in the first place. You are supposed to take that hand and do whatever you're going to do with it yourself because it's not going to do it for you. But once you figure out what you're supposed to do, the game really opens up and it becomes its own thing that I highly recommend checking out. And if you're on the fence, maybe watch some videos or read some reviews. But the fact that I'm endorsing this is all you need. So just do it. Stop being a dummy and pick up this game. Shadowy Men from the Shadowy Planet endorse it, I'm sure. Anyway, that was my rant about Sekiro. Don't listen to the memes. It is difficult, but you don't need an easy mode. Don't cheat in games, folks. Not these games. If a game is an easy mode, you want to do that, it means somebody at least balanced it. Try that if you're freaking out about it. But all in all, I'm Jack. I'm Joel! Thanks for listening. Support CFRU. Support local things, I guess, if you like them. Like CFRU. Stay tuned. Have a good day.